Hello, and welcome to episode 185 of The Invisible World. I'm your host, Frank Todaro. Now, right at the top here, I want to thank you guys for all your feedback in regards to last week's episode. If you haven't heard it yet, episode 184 was a, a bit of a departure from the normal news-based programming where the station head of the Paranormal A radio network up in Canada and a friend of mine, Terry Koenig, came on the show and shared for the first time ever his family's longtime experiences and very unnerving situations with unknown entities. Well, this struck a chord with some of you, as a few listeners have been reaching out to me in the past week or so, sharing similar stories about unknowns that they themselves have experienced. One listener's given me permission to share their story in a future episode, which I'm going to be doing a, a listener story episode in the coming months, so stay tuned for that. But it definitely illustrates a point that myself and others in this field, I'm sure, want to drive home. The sharing of stories really does help to let people know that they're not alone in their experiences. Normally I wait until the end of the show to wax poetic, but I just want to say this now. Here on The Invisible World, we discuss the hard sciences and the less commonly accepted ones. If you're listening to me, that could be because you're simply interested in this stuff or perhaps you've had an experience of something out of the ordinary yourself. And that can be scary. Compound that with the idea that I'm constantly trying to express that we ultimately have no idea, no definitive answers about any of this stuff, and the fact that the unknown is far more scary than the monster that has a name and defined parameters. Lots of those out there nowadays. It's easy to become terrified or ignore it all completely. By sharing our stories... By hearing that people have similar experiences, I truly think that that gives comfort to us all when you experience something that doesn't jibe with your expectations of the world. So I want to say thank you for sharing your stories with me, for allowing me to share them with everyone else who tunes in. So please keep doing so. And I might as well throw in here at this time the email to do so is theinvisibleworldshow at gmail.com, theinvisibleworldshow, no spaces at gmail.com, or feel free to just direct message me through the Facebook. Uh, if you know me in real life, send me, a, send me a message, or the show page, The Invisible World Show, facebook.com slash theinvisibleworldshow. And with that, it is time we got back to the thick of things here with the Paranormal News. Now, first off, as you longtime listeners know, I am, in the end, just some kid from Queens. And as such, I grew up in no small amount relating to another more fictitious Queens native, Peter Parker, who seemed to be dealing with those same trials and tribulations as the average teenager waiting at the bus stop on Northern Boulevard or Francis Lewis. Well, he also fought off a myriad of animal-themed baddies, and at the time I couldn't really walk up walls. Well, I would have. If I could. And that might just be a possibility. It's a long lead-in, but it's worth it, because Gizmodo reports that German scientists have developed a new type of super-strong adhesive that reacts to ultraviolet light. Let's cut to the chase right now. It's strong enough to hold up a human body with a small surface area from great heights and reacts instantaneously to UV light, meaning light goes on, stick. Light goes off, take your next step. Seriously, this is real. 
Developed by a team led by Emery Kizilkan from Kiel University, the adhesive device features a surface texture inspired by the feet of geckos combined with a porous, light-sensitive film. The film is made from azobenzene, a molecule that curls when exposed to ultraviolet light. The surface, which is comprised of tiny mushroom-shaped pillars, sticks to other surfaces via van der Waal forces. So by turning a UV light on or off, it's possible to enable or disable the adhesive. The scientists are hoping to combine this technology with robotics to one day make it possible to climb up the side of buildings and other surfaces, just like the old webhead himself. The adhesive is, in fact, so sticky that a 20-centimeter square is enough to support an adult male. So, they're still working on this thing. They say a dirty wall can clog up the system, so definitely a hurdle to get past if you're going to use it to climb up buildings in New York, at least. But definitely a story to follow. Now, sticking with Spider-Man's various abilities... That's horrible. Let's slide over to Spider-Sense. Well, it's a bit of a stretch, but I'm really excited for the movie Homecoming. Give me a break. A new study was making the rounds stating that some people can actually hear flashes of light or movement. It's a form of synesthesia that may affect more than one-fifth of the population. That's one-fifth of the population that can hear faint noises when light flashes or rapid movements. The article points out that the more typical form of synesthesia, which occurs in only 2-4% to of the population, crosswires the senses in such a way that a person may be able to experience the number 8 as the color blue, or a particular place or name as the taste of apples. Now, study leader and cognitive neuroscientist Elliot Freeman from the City University of London is quoted here by Gizmodo saying, A lot of us go around having senses that we do not even recognize. The research involved showing a group of volunteers pairs of visual or auditory patterns and then asking them to determine whether each pair contained the same sequences. Around 22% of the participants reported hearing sounds while viewing visual flashes. Said Freeman, these internal sounds seem to be perceptually real enough to interfere with the direction of externally generated sounds. The finding that this hearing motion phenomenon seems to be much more prevalent compared to other synesthesias might occur due to the strength of the natural connection between sound and vision. So interesting stuff there. I'll throw the whole study up on the Facebook page for you guys to check out later. Next up, here's an interesting story regarding a plane hijacking from the early 70s. An independent investigation into this case has managed to dig up some important new clues to a 1971 hijacking and the science behind it is pretty interesting. This infamous hijacking occurred in 1971 when a mysterious man, who at the time went by the name Dan Cooper, boarded Northwest Orient Airlines Flight 305 to travel from Portland to Seattle. Quote from the article here, For a while, the primary suspect was John List, who murdered his whole family days before the hijacking. Other former suspects included a Vietnam vet-turned-Catholic priest, a transgender mechanic, a leather worker accused after his death by his niece. Now, in 1980, a young boy digging in the sand of Portland unearthed bundles of cash that matched the serial numbers of Cooper's ransom money. Now, during the trip where the incident happens, Cooper called over one of the flight attendants and asked them to write out a note declaring that he had a bomb in his briefcase and that the plane was being hijacked. When the aircraft stopped at Tacoma International Airport, he allowed the passengers to leave in exchange for four parachutes and the sum of $200,000 in cash. After the plane had taken off again, Cooper strapped the bag of money to himself, put on one of the parachutes, 
and jumped out somewhere between Seattle and Reno. No trace of him was ever found. Now, a team of scientists working for Citizen Sleuths, a group that's been attempting to solve this case for years, may have finally determined where Cooper used to work. It's another piece of the puzzle. Now, one of the pieces of physical evidence left behind by Cooper was a black tie that was found sitting on his airplane seat. By using modern forensic techniques, a team was able to identify traces of a rare earth element, as they, they say, rare earth elements, on the tie, including a surprising amount of titanium. Because this metal was very rare back in 1971, the presence of it on Cooper's formal clothes significantly narrowed down the number of places he was likely to have worked. The investigators ultimately determined that he was most likely to have worked at Boeing, the company responsible for building the airplane in which the hijacking took place. Now, to quote lead researcher Tom Kane, the tie went with him into these manufacturing environments, for sure. So he was not one of the people running these manufacturing machines. He was either an engineer or a manager at one of the plants. Now, at the time, Boeing happened to be working on a supersonic transport plane that used those exact elements. So the case has been opened back up to the public now by this group, and they hope that someone might recognize those particles on the tie. Now, sticking with the company Boeing, they've also been in the news for another reason, which provides the perfect segue for me. Boeing has just recently unveiled its new spacesuit. This is one of those things where you're going to have to check the videotape, so uh, go check out some pictures online. I'll post some or do a quick Google search. Ripped right out of science fiction. The new design is lighter, it's less bulky, well, much less bulky than the spacesuits worn by the space shuttle astronauts. Enhancing ease of movement and comfort, this is a definite improvement. You guys are probably very familiar with the bright orange number that was worn by NASA over the years, known as the Advanced Crew Escape Suit, or the Pumpkin Suit, due to its color. But now Boeing, which is currently developing its new Starliner spacecraft to take astronauts to the International Space Station, has revealed a brand new spacesuit design featuring a host of improvements. The new suits, which are blue instead of orange, they're much lighter, much more flexible than the old suits, thanks to the use of advanced new materials and joint patterns. The helmet and visor, which were previously separate pieces, are now integrated into the suit itself, while special vents have been implemented to keep the astronauts from overheating. The new suit has even been fitted with touchscreen-sensitive gloves for computer work and clearly to play bejeweled during downtime. Quote from astronaut Eric Bowe from NASA.gov, stating the real issue here. It's not really bejeweled. The most important part is that the suit will keep you alive. It's a lot lighter, more form-fitting, and it's simpler, which is always a good thing. Complicated systems have more ways they can break, so simple is better on something like this. Keep it simple. Moving on to a quick story in medical science from up north involving strange cases of amnesia. It's from Live Science. A total of 14 individuals were treated in Massachusetts between 2012 and 2016 for, quote, a striking anterograde amnesia a form of memory loss which prevents the sufferer from being able to form new short-term memories. Nine of the patients were reportedly unconscious when they were brought to the hospital and only experienced memory loss after waking up. In the other five cases, the patients had started to experience memory loss while at home and were brought into the hospital by a family member. To further compound the mystery, 
all the amnesia patients were found to have significantly reduced blood flow to the hippocampus, the area of the brain responsible for memory. Even more peculiar still was the fact that the blood flow to both hippocampi on both sides was reduced, a condition that in itself is very rare and unusual. The only thing that seemed to connect the patients was that they had a history of drug use or substance abuse and were all relatively young, between the ages of 19 and 52. But this is a relatively unique phenomenon for the time period allotted. The investigation is ongoing, will follow as it develops. But moving on. From the new scientist, scientists have succeeded in squeezing hydrogen to such an extreme that it's turned into a metal. The remarkable breakthrough was made by two researchers at Harvard University who used diamonds to squeeze a hydrogen sample to pressures greater than those of Earth's core. Now let that sink in for a moment. It's a result that was predicted over 80 years ago by Eugene Wigner and Hillard Bell Huntington, two scientists who determined that at sufficient enough pressures, it was possible to turn hydrogen into a metal, something that was impossible to prove at the time. Now, fast forward to today. The scientists behind this achievement now predict that metallic hydrogen, once created, may actually retain in either <coughs> may actually remain in either a solid or liquid state even at normal temperatures and pressures now here's the takeaway from this story it's so dense that it could prove to be an effective replacement for rocket fuel rocket fuel i want to break here for a moment you hear all these stories all of these technological breakthroughs new innovations new spacesuits so on and so forth when you do you really have to try and stitch them together. Now, the average person you pass in the street might not care about super-condensed hydrogen, but the implications when considering power sources for the subjects of other stories and the spacesuits we wear when we're inside them, and the microbes that possibly exist to where we're going and so forth, may well gel into a story that everyone will be talking about in time. So pay attention to everything. I know sometimes people say they're just waiting for the UFO reports and stuff, but you really have to keep yourself well-informed with what you might think is mundane before looking for that dot in the sky that's moving that shouldn't be. But the fun stuff tied to our own rock and the way we accept the universe as a whole is not the only reason you're tuning in. Let's move on to a story about some dude punching an alien. Yeah, it's the best transition I ever had in the show. From the Herald Express, a man by the name of John Mooner claims that he punched a gray alien in the face and that Google Earth caught a photo of it. God, I want this to be true. Mooner from Devon in the United Kingdom states that he's been abducted multiple times by extraterrestrial visitors over the last few years after experiencing periods of missing time. Naturally, he's been looking for evidence of all this, so he decided to look up his own house on Google Earth and discovered exactly what he was looking for an image of what he believes to be an alien entity attempting to take him away. Now, if you're on a computer, posted the original article to the Facebook page, check out the pictures there. Quote from Mooner here, The shocking thing about this was that it's me being abducted by a gray alien, and the satellite image clearly shows me trying to fight off the gray alien by punching it in the face. Looking at the image, it appears that the alien has blocked my punch and has grabbed my fist and must have been able to subdue me. I was left speechless by what I saw. Now, as most other places that this was reported states, the picture is far too pixelated to make out anything definitively. But I'll say, 
When I looked at it, given that I knew what I was looking for, my brain immediately allowed me to see it right away. It looks like a man from a bird's eye view, punching something light-colored and also humanoid-shaped. So see for yourself, and let me know what you think. Next up, sticking with Stranger Things. That'll be funnier in a minute. The CIA has recently uploaded millions of declassified files online, some ranging from UFO sightings to government-backed remote viewing experiments. Granted, my personal fascination with the Montauk Project clearly has me interested in what we're going to find, hence that segue. According to the BBC, this move followed a concerted campaign by freedom of information advocates and are now available to the public. Among them are documents pertaining to top-secret programs, such as the Stargate Project, a controversial and long-rumored U.S. Army unit established in 1978 at Fort Meade, Maryland which was basically trying to trigger remote viewing in individuals, enabling them to observe distant locations through the power of the mind. Also, and this one was a bit of a shocker, one of the memos was about Yuri Geller, the guy who bends the spoon. You're probably familiar with his bit on Johnny Carson, as that's all people seem to remember now. Well, apparently, Geller had undergone testing by the government to determine whether or not he had psychic abilities. This is in the CIA documents he was actually able to reproduce images drawn in another room. Seemingly, this led researchers to conclude that he had, quote, demonstrated his paranormal perceptual ability in a convincing and unambiguous manner. It's amazing. Now, of course, within the documents released are references to a number of UFO sightings, as well as details of a government spying program that would have involved looking at the contents of sealed letters. Spokesperson from the CIA confirmed that none of this is cherry-picked. It's the full history. It's goods and bads. And that is actually the perfect segue to this episode's UFO Roundup. We're not really going to move away from that last story too much. From the Himalayan Times, also talking about those CIA documents explaining how some provided detailed reports of UFOs over India, Nepal, and Bhutan back in 1968. The documents include an information report from April 11, 1968, concerning multiple UFO sightings. The Nepal sighting happened on the evening of February 19th. The object was observed over the Taplajon district on the eastern border with China at around 9 p.m., a second UFO was spotted over the Kashki region in western Nepal around five weeks later. Now a quote here from the report itself. A blazing object flashing intermittently, accompanied by a big thunder sound, disintegrated over Kashki region. A huge metallic disc-shaped object with a six-foot base and four feet in height was found in a crater at Balachor, five miles northeast of Pokhara. Portions of a similar object were found at Talakot and Turapasal. The document also mentions other UFO sightings, including two over Ladakh, India. The first was seen on March 5th and was described as a white light accompanied by two blasting sounds. The second, which was spotted on March 25th, was rocket-like and left a white-yellow white trail. So no big deal. Just an official CIA document saying that they retrieved a metallic saucer from a crater. I'm sure we're going to hear a lot more in the coming weeks. But they are all available online, so check it out for yourself. Next up, we return to secret bases inside volcanoes, one of my favorite subjects. 
A new video surfaced recently. It's footage of a mysterious object leaving a volcano before bursting into a ball of light and kind of flying towards you. Of course, this burst of light is assumed to be something that we all understand through fiction narratives as jumping to warp speed. That's what people are saying. Now, this was all caught last week on one of the cameras at webcamsdemexico.com. It's a series of live streams continuously monitoring magma mountains across the country. The footage was taken around 6.46 p.m. local time on January 24th. Now, the two schools of thought here are the long-held idea that this is an alien base in this particular volcano. Or there may be a secret military base, and this UFO was actually something akin to the TR-3B Triangle ship that we've talked about quite a bit in past episodes, which would in turn explain the ball of light given how it's said to propel itself. Regardless... The footage is really rather amazing, if it is in fact real. It depicts this small, bright light that appears from behind the volcano in the background of the shot, which then moves closer to the camera. Then it increases in size and the intensity of the light before just sort of moving out of shot. Of course, some people say that the spat of UFO sightings around volcanoes are just ejections of heated ash or something else relatively mundane. But this footage itself is pretty intense. Well, literally, it's very intense. It's very bright. So check it out. Let me know what you think. Now, kind of staying in the same country, there's an interesting bit of cover-up, perhaps. There's a video that's been making the rounds that seems to depict a cluster of UFOs near Tijuana, near the U.S.-Mexican border, on the Mexico side. Now, this thing has apparently been taken down several times. A YouTube channel of UFO investigators called Secure Team 10 seems to have mirrored this footage and then noted that it disappeared multiple times off of Instagram where it was originally posted. I'll say the video's back, and I link to it directly on the show page. Now, to me, it looks an awful lot like the Morristown, New Jersey lights that were dismissed as Chinese lanterns, which that kid was later debunked. Design for yourself. Now, the user who posted this video... Keep in mind, this was not a UFO enthusiast, but apparently just a young girl who happened to be there. You can actually see traffic is stopped, everyone in the shot is standing up, getting out of their cars, looking up at the sky, even a couple of border guards. It's very interesting footage we're getting this week, even more than the mysterious way it's been presented. Now sliding over to a few reports straight from MUFON, a North Carolina witness at Elizabeth City reported watching a triangle UFO hover under 500 feet over his vehicle. This is just recently, January 11th, 2017. They were driving into town for a birthday dinner. Straight from the report here, On our way to town, I happened to notice what I thought at first was maybe a helicopter or an aircraft, but it had unusually bright white lights with what appeared to be red or green flashing lights, kind of like a normal aircraft might have. Didn't think too much of it at the time, but kept kind of looking towards it as it moved slowly. It arrived at the edge of town, just about the time we did, and was hovering low over the trees and houses. About the time we turned to head towards town, its flight path was heading right for us. So I was like, okay, I'll see what it was for sure now, because it's about to be right over our heads. So I look out the window as it slowly hovered overhead, and was dumbfounded by what I saw. It was a triangular-shaped craft, unlike anything I'd ever seen before. Three bright white lights at the corners of the craft, red lights towards the center, and orange lighting in various places. 
It seemed to have orange-lit engine-like vents towards the back of the craft. It seemed to be dark gray in color, but the whole thing had this translucent bluish aura around it. I've never seen anything with this level of tech. You could just feel how powerful this thing was. I'm a bit of a sci-fi fan, and have kind of a somewhat belief in the possibility of stuff like this existing. The crazy part is, the thing was still in the area on our way home, an hour or so later, though it didn't come close to us again. But seriously, it just made everything I've ever seen, including fantasy, just pale in comparison. I've actually been kind of scared to drive, or even go out at night since seeing it. It's really kind of shaken me up. My mother was driving, so she never got a close look at it. I did, unfortunately. And no pictures either. I honestly was so amazed and shocked, I didn't even think to try. Interesting stuff. Definitely has all the hallmarks of other Triangle sightings reports, which could go either way. Hopefully, someone else in the area saw the same thing. Moving on. Enough of those triangles. How about a nice old-fashioned flying saucer? Just like the ones the CIA says they grab out of craters. Seriously, that is so cool. A Kentucky witness reports seeing a saucer at Cox Creek in a UFO incident from 2014, where a disc-shaped object was observed hovering over a neighbor's home. Shortly after it appeared, someone had entered his home late at night. This was posted just recently to MUFON, but again, the actual incident is from two or three years ago. Straight from the report here, referring to his wife, she was reading a book, and I was watching television. The house was quiet. We live in a country type of area. The television was down low as not to disturb my wife. I heard our front door open. It makes a distinctive sound as the lower seal rubs on the step plate. It had my attention, but I thought it was our son who has the only other key to the house. My wife looked at me and said, You know someone just came in the house, don't you? So I answered, Yes, I know, it has to be our son. He's the only one with a key. And she says, What if it's not? She was right. So I get out of bed, go to the closet, and get my gun. We leave a small light on in the kitchen just to be able to see if someone is there, but they can't see us well. I call out his name, and I say I have a gun, and not to be joking around, but no answer. So I start going through each room, turning the lights on as I go. I looked in every room. I even looked under the beds and in the closet, because I know I heard someone enter our house. I found nothing. The front door was double-locked, no windows open or unlocked. My wife said, I heard someone. Are you sure? I said, I heard someone too, but the door is locked and the house is safe. I told my wife that while I was up, I was going to go outside and smoke before going back to bed. I usually sit on the steps and smoke, but I wanted to look around the house in case someone was outside our home. Our garage is about 30 feet from our house with a sidewalk joining them so I slowly walked towards the garage. Hovering over the next house was a UFO. It was sitting still, and it was glowing different colors. It was made of metal, but the lights were the most vivid, beautiful colors I had ever seen. Glowing green, then red, then blue. I know my wife is terrified of these things because we see them quite often, and she remarks, I don't want to see them. I'm the opposite. I want to put my hands on one and look it over. I want to talk to them and know what they know. 
I just hope they are friendly and don't dissect me. I see UFOs a lot, and it's worthless to tell someone without proof. They pat you on the head. They say they believe you. So I walked to the door and said, Hey, honey, can you come out here for a minute? She says yes. So I walked back out onto the sidewalk and waited. I remember thinking, I hope she gets here quick, because these things don't stay still very long. I said, look at Lewis's house. She saw it. She knows what it was, too. She grabbed my arm and said, let's get back in the house. I said, don't be afraid. It's over his house, not ours. And it's not doing anything but hovering. She was still scared. So we went to the edge of the garage and just watched it. We had a real nice 12 megapixel camera, but it quit working three days earlier. It was killing me to see it this close and not be able to film it. It went above the trees and slowly went out of sight. About a week later, I saw my neighbor and told him what we saw. He said, I know which night you mean. I was in bed asleep, but I'm a very light sleeper. I heard someone come in my house, so I reached under my pillow and got my forty-four pistol. I just stayed in bed and pointed the gun towards the door. I could hear someone going through my silverware drawer, opening cabinet doors, and walking around. I just listened. After a few minutes, it got quiet. I got up, announced that I had a gun, and started through the house. I found nothing or no one. My door was still locked, so at least I know what I heard coming in my house, but I never heard them leave by the door. That is one of the more cinematic reports than we've had in a while. But we are just about out of time. If I might wind things down here with this episode's final thought. I'm going to switch gears here for a second, actually. As I mentioned at the end of a recent episode, the show Spectral Retrospective came back this past month. And one of the topics we spoke about was this current trending concept of fake news. In fact, it seems like the idea of fake news has gone even more viral than the faux facts themselves. But I want to take a moment here to echo something that I was blathering on about during that show. This is nothing new. Fake news has existed for as long as the idea of reporting news has. The worst part about it is that all too often, these stories are crafted to appeal to folks who want to believe the ideas putting forth. Sounds familiar, right? There are many news outlets out there as well as many editorial ones that are often mistaken for news outlets. And the only way to get any of us to watch one over the other is to make it more appealing to you than the next program, newspaper, or website. To make it more entertaining, which is the key. It's easy to go down a rabbit hole in any story by questioning the source, and then questioning the next source, and then questioning the source that source got its information from. And in the past, people who do this are often looked down upon as wackos or conspiracy theorists. Now it's in the public, and more socially acceptable than ever. But if you really want to know what's going on in the world, questioning and constant comparison is paramount. Even the idea of fact-checking is only as good as the standards you use to check it against. And those themselves are often relayed by the same sources as the information you're trying to debunk. Or an opposition in the extreme to what you're questioning in the first place. Which brings me to all the out-there stuff, the paranormal news items that we discuss on the program. I'm not saying that there were definitely flying saucers over Nepal. 
I'm not telling you that some dude definitely punched an alien in the face, though that would be really cool. Do I want to live in a world where friendly monsters exist in the woods and benevolent space folks may well snatch me up for a high five the next time I'm driving through Beacon, New York? Sure. It's a romanticized version of a narrative that I choose to read up on. I don't know beyond any shadow of a doubt if any of it is true or real, only that I enjoy these stories, as you do if you're listening to me right now. But that same part of my brain that enjoys those tales is the same part that inspires people to seek out more mundane concepts and ideas presented in the media, constantly bombarding themselves with more ideas that jibe with their own preconceived notions of the way of the world, creating their own reality in the process. In the end, sheltered is sheltered, and all media is chiefly entertainment. Take everything with a grain of salt, and while the old X-Files tagline of trust no one is a bit extreme, there's some worth in exposing yourself to every idea, every retelling of an event or news item. Take all versions. Lay them on top of each other. Cut out what doesn't carry over to the next, and whatever you're left with probably resembles what actually happened. Well, unless we're all just experiencing some giant simulation and we're actually just bioelectric batteries for our massive robot overlords, like that story I read a while back. <laughs> but that's just fake news. I hope. Thanks to Trash80 for the intro and outro music. That was weird. Thanks to the Paranormal A Radio Network and all the other outlets that carry and share this program. I am super grateful to you all. Once again, thank you to everyone here and everyone out there. This has been The Invisible World. I'm Frank Todaro, reminding you to be good to each other and keep looking forward.